Okay, so we're we ready. <clears throat> All right, hello everybody Hi. here and online. So it feels like just yesterday I was sitting here a week ago, but um, last time we talked about the dominant monad, this idea that that uh, when there was a like an assertion of the identity of the whole, then that somehow translated through the core of each self with the transmission of life. So today's um, transmission was a little bit obscure, a little bit esoteric, um, fortunately brief. Um, so, and, and contains really coming back to this idea of the relationship between the heart center and the base. So before we've talked about the fact that the, the heart center is the base of a higher system. So it's like the heart is the base of the monadic system. If you think of the causal body as the heart of that system, the monad is the crown, the heart is the base. But the heart is the center of the system of the seven chakras. So it operates as the base of one system, of a higher system, and the center of a lower system. And when monadic energy operates, it operates through that heart center, which has a reflex action on the base. And that is a rising of Kundalini. So um, basically the, the image for the, the transmission would be 2025 is a global ayahuasca ceremony. And we're going to have, we're in the beginnings of the purge. Okay, so the whole point of the energy of ayahuasca is that it brings up the cosmic serpent. And so 2025 is a impact from the Shambhala energy at the core of the being of earth, which impacts all of our hearts, which causes a deep uprising. And because human souls are embedded in the lowest three chakras of the planet, we're embedded in matter, that the liberation of souls from and being embedded in matter is the global purge. And how that's experienced by souls in matter is the experience of urgency, emergency. So that, that place in our soul that is deeply embedded in form knows we need to be free. So we are the, the rising bio, if you like, with a rising energy within the, the lower chakras of the planetary being that is being lifted up. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some quotes. Am I muted still? Okay, so here are some quotes uh, that, that he's just are concepts that he would like you to link in your mind uh, because it's very hard to understand this because we are inside it. Okay, it's like being on the inside of the box and he's trying to give us instructions to be outside the box, but we're inside the box. So here, here are the concepts. The base center is located on the fourth ether and the fourth cosmic ether. The heart of any system becomes the base of a higher system. Time and space are spherical. The center of a sphere contains its reservoir of life. 
Evolutionary awakening expresses the relationship between base and heart. Radical awakening occurs via the center of any sphere. Kundalini is not only spirit curled up in matter, it is the future curled up in the past. Evolution is therefore partly a function of the action of Kundalini. This is the source of wisdom and the sentience in nature. Three-dimensional spherical time and space is experienced on the lower three planes of any system. Beings within this sphere experience the linearity of time due to the movement of Kundalini. 2025 and the Shambhala impact will see the activating of Earth Kundalini as a part of a larger system. The effects of this activation are being experienced by humanity now. The experience of soul evolution and emergence in the lower three planes of any sphere are the effect of the presence in its center of that which transcends the time and space of its form. Okay, so there's lots of concepts there for early morning in Europe or, you know, late evening in, in New Zealand. But the, the essence um, that I want to try to convey, or, or there's two pieces that really need to be teased out. The first is that Kundalini is the present of the future and the past and that time and space is spherical. So we all kind of know from Einstein and so on that time and space are not two different things, that they are the same thing that they're part of the same thing. We know that black holes bend them. So we know that the monad is operating outside the normal time and space. And we know that time and space are relative. So in other words, the time and space of a day is different from the time and space of a year is different from the time and space of a hundred years. And each of those are not just linear, they're spherical. And the center of any sphere is free of being embedded in the time and space of the sphere. Okay, so um, one of the easiest ways to see this is to understand that in your life, which is a cycle of 84 years, approximately these days, which is a cycle of Uranus. So the midpoint of that is 42. Okay, so one way of seeing your life is that it's a linear progression from from birth to death. You go through a year and then the next year and the next year. But that's only because we are stuck in it. Okay, we're embedded in the linearity of our life. If we could see our life from the perspective of this free soul, so the soul that's free of being in time and space, it would be a sphere and 42 would be the middle. Okay, so from that perspective, our life, including the journey when we were three and when we were 65, is an expression of this, this, the whole at the center. Which is why when you go into a mystery school, it accepts people from 21 to 42, because 42 is your Shambhala impact. 42 is the time where you come to the center of your entire sphere of your life and you know yourself as the monad. If you don't, by 42, you're probably not going to. Okay, so that's the, 
that's the journey and that in time and the mystery schools that will be taught like depending on where you are in your evolution of your life what is the appropriate way of pulling in the energy that you need at that time from the soul but the soul is radical and by that it's meant that it it doesn't exist in the realm of evolution that you go through your seven, your 14, your 21, your Saturn return, your 42. The soul sees it all at once. And it arrives into the sphere of your life and the little spheres within those spheres um, outside the time and space of your linear progression. Which means that, you know, we have this idea of retro causality that, that our future travels back to us. That experience of like being called like a ring through your nose that says go this way or go that way because your future is calling you i don't even know what it is but i'm in touch with my living current and my living current says that the decisions that i make right now you know angels from the future are looking in and and feeling me and saying this is important so we've all had that experience right so how does that work and it doesn't just work as a linear flow in time, the future flowing backwards and the past flowing forward. It works because the, the whole is curled up in each of the pieces, which means that the future is curled in the past, which means that when our Kundalini flows, that is the flow of time. And as the Kundalini flows, flows vertically in our own system, it, it gives linearity to the system. It gives a vertical current within the torus or the sphere of our being. And we experience that as the passing of time. We can distort that time and space. So you can be in urgency. Like, and we all have that experience of knowing like, fuck, I'm behind schedule, right? Like in terms of my life, never mind anyone else, but in terms of my life, I can feel when I'm behind schedule, like I'm getting a nudge or then the next thing that will happen is the mat truck will come, you know, because I'm behind and I know I'm behind and I know I'm urgent and I know that I have to like do something cathartic or big to make up for the fact that I've been, you know, slacking for the last five years or I'm an advance. I'm an advance. And I can cruise a little bit if I want to, because I've just had, had some really amazing breakthroughs and I'm ahead of schedule. So we know that experience. And that experience is pushed upon us by the presence of the whole. So, uh, you know, another way of saying what evolution is, is it's the pressure of the infinite on the finite. It's the pressure of that which is outside our time and space on that which is inside time and space. Okay, so there's a difference between like being here now, which is like being fully present in, in the present moment and being the whole of a larger system present within the smaller system. Okay, so the, the, there's capacity for the soul and for the monad to be present at every point within the sphere. However, the, the form hasn't learned how to handle that energy yet. So if the monad just arrived when you were three, then it would probably blow all of your circuits because your form hadn't developed enough complexity, your consciousness hadn't developed enough in time and space in order to handle the full download. So the science of 
soul evolution during time and space is a science of unfoldment. And if we learn that science of unfoldment, we will be able to help generations to come to have conscious, aware processes and initiations that help them download the next piece of their wholeness at the appropriate point of the evolution of their journey. Okay, so that's soul initiation work in the temples. But then how does that work in the flow of life and planetary life? So one of the, uh, the important um, things is what's called a 49-year cycle, where the six-degree initiates or the Shambhala beings decide on one of the cosmic paths, and that determines the amount of it, the type of energy that comes into our planetary sphere for the next 50 years. So we talked about this before, that in 2001, the decision was made to choose the path to Sirius, this cosmic path of energy that comes into the planet. That brings in the energy of freedom, and it precipitates in the middle of that 50 years a crisis. And so that crisis is about the energy of freedom. That's why I'm saying the US is implicated, um, the whole of humanity is implicated in terms of the period of time between 2001 and 2050 is when we should see uh, the hanged man. So the personality of the planet should be turned upside down so that soul governance appears. So a change in the culture of civilization during that 50 years from a personality based culture to a soul based culture with 2025 being the pivot point. So I don't know if you can see online, but just um, I'm just going to going to point out this chart for a minute minute. So you can look at a 50 year cycle as a sphere. Okay, it's not it, it's linear. But it's um, so it's linearity is this way. It's lived that way, but the whole thing is a sphere. So what happens in 2025 affects the energy in 2001 and affects the energy in 2049. So when we're traveling in the experience, we're stuck inside the first, the, like the body mind of a 50 year cycle is the first 21 years. Okay, that's the body mind. Just like your body mind is your 3D world that your soul transcends. The body mind of the cycle is the first 21 years. So here we are at 2020, just about to break out of the body mind, the time space of this big cycle. Okay, and what's happened here in 2004, 2001, the Twin Towers going down, all of the events that happened here, they seem like they unfold in time, but they're caused by this. Okay, remember I said in another um, transmission that one of the, 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 the words for an initiate is someone who causes evolution rather than the result of it. So mostly in the world and in our scientific world, we consider everything in terms of cause and effect and a linear flow of time. And if we understood all of the probabilities, then we could predict what's going to happen from all of the things that were happening. But that doesn't account for emergence, which is the property of increasing life complexity. So emergence comes from the presence of the future in the past, 
calling it on. So the, the type of crisis we had in 2004 or 2011 or so on is perfectly designed because of this. Okay, because it's not just a random series of events that natural selection is working on. It's a critical path. And that critical path is determined by what is the essence, what's the life principle at the core of this 50-year cycle. Okay, so there's something in there about um, understanding that we're not only at the core of our own life being called by our own destiny, we're being called by the collective process that as all souls are part of the world soul and the world soul is going through this 50 year process, it's calling on all of us. And that the way we experience that subjectively in our own reality is the pressure to emerge as a soul. Okay. And because this energy um, is like a, so here's a fourth degree initiative, somebody who can rest here. Third degree climbs the mountaintop. So what the spiritual awake people on the planet are, is that people that have been gone up um, through this process of their own Kundalini awakening, contacted this, and now they've come back down the mountain, and now they are this in the presence of matter. And therefore, they cause evolution. Okay, that's the ayahuasca effect. You know that experience when you can, when you're on ayahuasca and you can feel the serpent moving, and he's like, like "Holy fuck, I'm going to purge!" Right? Because the serpent is coming for whatever in your nature is blocking your soul emergence. That's what it's designed to do. It's coming, putting pressure on it. So the same, if you are channeling fourth quality, which is this presence of, de of deity, then in your presence, um, anybody else embedded in uh, form is going to feel pressure to get free. That's the kind of purge effect. Okay, and that's way more powerful than using the mind or using emotional coercion or because it's a subtle energy of the, the life principle at the core of any system activating throughout that system. It's just that when you are in the body mind of any system, you're not conscious, you're in the box. So you don't know what the cause of the experience that you are having is. So you make up a story. Like, and, and the world has made up stories. Darwinism and natural selection and or spiritual, you know, concepts or ideas or cosmologies. We've made up stories about what's happening because we don't understand what's happening because we're inside the box. So it's only initiates who have got out of the box that go, oh, okay, radical awakening is different than evolutionary. Evolutionary awakening occurs in time on a timeline and seems to be progressive. Radical awakening allows you to see the whole system from outside the system. You're outside the box. You can see the hole into the box. You can see how the one thing that comes through that hole spreads itself out in many different ways to produce in time and space the tapestry, the goddess, the dance of the, the diamond pattern on the back of the serpent, 
All of that is the weaving inside time and space of one being. That presence of fire, the presence of life at the center of any system then turns itself into the whole system. And so then you could say, well, what about free will and everything else? Of course there's free will, but the free will has got to do with how you get to choose how you want to evolve within the system. The system itself has a limitations. Right? You can't do anything in the system because the system has energy and life force and is part of a much larger system. You have free will within circumscribed limits. And the major free will that we try to work with in, in the Shambhala school and the Haydn is the consent to the operation of that life force via the will of the greater being so that you are swept more intelligently into a process that's happening anyway. It's a bit like when, you know, we're trying to raise Kundalini, you can either do Bindu locks and lots of, you know, like Eastern processes, or you just relax your ass because Kundalini is flowing anyway. Right? It's not, it's not you that's making Kundalini flow. Like that's just more ego. It's, it's the you dissolving into what already is in the same way that we work with the days of week, instead of our to-do list and our ego, we're like, Oh my God, there's already qualities of energies washing through us. If we surrender back into them, it makes our lives much easier because we've been swept on a current that's already happening. So it's the same with Kundalini and these big cycles of what's going on on the planet. If we understand the cycles and we can vibrate, like we can feel that energy at the core, then we align up with it and then we let it pull us. We let it pull us to, to our, our, our maximum potential unfoldment within the sphere that we're living so this is very different from being guided by your mind, being guided by philosophy, being guided by your eros, being guided by any of these other things that we're guided by. This is developing a sensitivity to the life force at the core of the system. So this is the life force at the core of the planet. This is the life force at the core of Shambhala, of the purpose. It's the life force at the core of the galaxy. The heart has a direct access to the monad and the monad is the life force in all things. So if you align your heart through a vibrational resonance with that life force in greater and greater spheres, you are going to be used maximally within the system because the system has to include everybody who's been driven by all other kinds of things. People who have been driven by their politics, people who have been driven by their, their personal desires, people that are driven by their ideologies, people that are driven by their desire to make a living, all of that is welcome within the system. But the system is not limited by that. The system is not limited by our idea of what the system should be, our religions, our politics, none of that. The, the, the system is life. And that life as it calls us forth is going to call humanity forth in, into a great freedom. And that freedom is like, you know, if this was, if this was a chakra system and here was the heart, you know, humanity has got to the top of the solar plexus, advanced humanity. And then what's going to happen over the next five years is this great, you know, upwelling. And what that upwelling looks like is people's souls embedded in matter have the urge to emerge. 
this unstoppable push or drive in their core of their beings, this great thirst for, for this. They don't know what it is that they're thirsty for. They just know they must go there. So when you understand what it is and you give your consent to it, you become a more intelligently calibrated cell within the organism. And okay, one who's like, and you can also, by the way, use your intelligence and understanding to resist it more fully, which is why they say they don't give esoteric information to people at a certain point, certain point because otherwise they just use it to enmesh themselves more deeply in matter. But if, you, if you're at that point where you've already decided you're on the walk to freedom inside your own being, then esoteric information can help you calibrate your sensitive equipment to that energy. And you know, this has got deep relevance to us here at Haida and to Shambhala School and so on, because we're looking like, okay, how do we form community based around the life principle when, when we're not in touch with it most of the time? You know, and the worst thing is that, is that like, okay, we want to form community around that life principle, more ideology. So we gather and then someone has an opinion about like, I think we should do this. And then someone else has a polar opinion. Like, I don't think we should do that. And then we're, we're, we're lost here. So um, developing a sensitivity and a capacity to feel through our hearts, through the core of our hearts, which is the core of our being. When is that great attractor? This, this point, how is it calling us? Beyond our concepts of it, beyond our, you know, our desires and everything else, how is it calling? Because it, it will arrange us in a maximally beneficial way. It will increase our evolutionary awakening to the maximum capacity we have because it is organizing the whole system. But not via a mission statement not by something that you can, you know, write down and like understand and, and convince other people about. It's actually a living vibration that's moving through the system like yeast through dough, picking up anyone who's willing and organizing them into something that is serving a deeper purpose than we can understand. So we need to start to have a language and a culture that, that makes this at the center. That it's not an ideology at the center, it's not a person at the center, it's that principle, which is not an idea, but a living thing inside all of our hearts that we can feel, and we can feel when it's there and when it's not there. And we help each other come back to when it is there and, and, and come back to it and make more and more space from it for it in our community. So, you know, that, that's the practical application, application of these esoteric concepts. But the esoteric concepts help us understand that we can't understand. Like that, they help us understand that we're in the box and that we can't use our minds inside the box to come up with a way out of the box because that's just more being in the box. We have to trust that we have to, first of all, understand that we have a place in our being, the core of our heart, that is in resonant with this life principle and to develop and calibrate it so that we can sense when it's calling us and we can respond and we can start to respond collectively. Okay. So that's the, that's the, um, the kind of essence, I suppose, of this piece is the recognition that you are 
you are unavoidably inside something and there are slow ways out and there are fast ways out. And the slow ways out is the process either of rotary motion, you know, where you just go round and round, bending your head on the wall until you're desperate and then you, you know, will do anything. Then there's the spiral path, which is the path that like slowly comes in towards the center. And then there's the straight line path. And the straight line path always will take you to the center of any sphere as fast as it's possible. Okay, it's like the straight line up the mountain. It's not the spiral around it, it's the straight line because you're, you're letting the life principle at the core be your guide. And this is what's, what's behind how we then have a, a, a spiritual governance on the planet because the beings that will help um, govern the planet are those beings within humanity that are most able to listen to this. So that means in order to have a culture of that, we all need to appoint that as our governance. Inside our earth, inside our earth, we need to decide who's in charge, like who's guiding us. And if everybody is in, in sharing the guidance of the same life principle at the core of them, well, then it can organize us. But most of us have this process of like, well, my mind's in charge. Like I'm, I'm just doing this at the moment. I'm, I'm back doing some trading again, listening. And I notice just, I get clear intuition. And then some other part of me, like my ego or my mind or whatever gets in and tries to interfere with, it. you know, like I'm, I'm forever working to like chop the vines of the social conditioning, the, the world that we live in to try to get the purity of what I'm deeply listening to and surrendered to, to be stable in my being. Because it's like, it's like a, a forest clearing, like the vines grow over it so fast and everybody else's vines and, you know, until, until it's lost again. So that it, it's one thing to say, well, we're going to have a community. It's another thing to know, well, have we got enough space around the center for this thing that none of us know what is to start to become a living thing that is operating inside us and calling us together in such a way that we are being danced by it. So that's the, that's the dream. And for me, this helps because it gives me frames to understand it. Okay, so a little bit more. I don't know if you can see this um, online or not. And if you can't, don't worry. I'll put it up um, uh, at some point on Shambhala School. Uh, but, but basically, it's taking that same idea of the timeline and practically applying it to your life. Okay, and again, seeing your life not just as a linear progressing through time, but as spheres within spheres within spheres. So what this really is, is like a cross section of this. Okay, in the same way that the mandala that sits at the core of the freedom stone is not just a flat thing. It's the, it's a cut of a sphere. Okay. And at the center of the sphere is the freedom stone. So at the center of your life, which looks like a linear progression from cradle to grave is really a sphere. And the center of that sphere is 42. Okay. So that's when, that's where the life principle enters into your sphere of your life, okay? But you, you, you experience it there at 42, 
but for most people, it's chopped so that we experience it in three spheres. So within this one sphere, there are three spheres. And if you want to go to the esoteric version of the secret doctrine, or the exoteric version of the secret doctrine that Blavatsky talks about, it's in Greek mythology. So this is Uranus. It's one and it's 84. 84 years for Uranus to go around the sun. 84 year cycle, 42 in the middle. That's the whole of your life. So when you are sitting here, if you are in the perspective of your oversoul, this is where you could be out of the box of your entire life and see it as just one thing. Okay, if you kept expanding, you could move out to the oversoul of seven incarnations or 177 incarnations. Okay, that because consciousness is always able to take deeper perspective, it's only one. But it's one thing to have like a high point in meditation. It's another thing to be able to stably rest your consciousness at a center of gravity. Okay, so we might have a peak experience where all of a sudden we see our entire life and it all makes sense. And then we're back, you know, in it, embedded in it. So meditative work is to kind of increase our capacity to take that perspective. Because from that perspective, we can come back into our life and we're pulling with it inside our life. We're pulling energies that are much more powerful in terms of making our life flow. Okay, so... Saturn comes along, chops the balls off Uranus, and creates three spheres of 28 years, which we call monad, soul, and personality, okay, in time, because, because they unfold in time. And then what happened to Kronos was his son Zeus came along and took over from him and divided those three into seven. Jupiter's cycle goes around... 12 years okay so 84 years 28 years 12 years this creates the fractal pattern of time that we dance within on earth and so in our 84 year life you can you could go to the soul of your midlife or the soul of your personality or the soul of your monad you can go to the, the a seven year cycle or a 12 year cycle and a way of seeing that is so this is linear time but when you're at one of those critical windows or portals in your life you are actually part of a spherical system okay so at 42 for example you have an opportunity for the whole system and your shamanic energy that, that connects you to the, the dense earth is balanced by the spiritual energy that connects you to the heights. So that's why at 42, there's often a deep crisis that's calling forth the emergence of the soul. Similarly, at 14, at the middle of your first 28 years, is normally puberty. The body's calling you into manifestation to feel your erotic energy. At the same time, your soul is calling you to your, your destiny. Like, who are you? Your erotic energy is deeply connected to your spiritual purpose. Kicks in at 14. 70 is the midpoint of your last cycle. And many people died at 70. 
puberty at 14, death at 70. Like three score and 10 was the, was the kind of age before we have developed now and now most people live to 80. So these three points are major points, but they're major points because they're opportunities for the whole of your being to enter in. And if you could, if you could start to write your history of your life instead of from a linear process, but spherically, you would see how some of the, the decisions you made at 14 or 20 or whatever had to do with who you would become. Okay, it was your Kundalini of time curling in and connecting with you. I know in my own personal connection, one of the reasons that this is so um, resonant for me is my 42 was in 2020. Uh, sorry, in 2000, when I went to Mount Kailash, just before coming here. So at 42, it's like the base. So 2000 was the base of the system. Okay, but it was the heart of my incarnational system of 84 years. So at 20, uh, at 2000, I was at Kailash and at 2025, I'll reach the completion of that work that I didn't know what I was doing, but that's something that grabbed me then and said, okay, this is the future that is wrapped up in the past and will reveal itself later. So most of my life, I've, I have felt 2025 calling me through my life not in any way that I can articulate, but as an energetic reality. So if you apply that to the whole of human history, like how we learn history is, you know, Columbus sailed the blue or, you know, this person did something amazing and then this person did something amazing and then that happened and then that happened. But what if history was written from the perspective of the soul of the planet? Then what we would see is a cycle, like a civilization like Rome or whatever is a sphere. And we could see how the high point of that civilization was directly related to its evolution through a time and space reality. And at the moment, civilization on earth, Western civilization is at one of those critical transformational points. And so it's not just enough to look into our history and see the linear expression of time. It's also to look into the future and see where we're going and therefore where we need to get to between now and 2030, which is either side of 2025. And then the full cycle's completion is 2049. So if we start to have this con concept, we start to orient ourselves differently start to shift our uh, awareness of what we're looking for to guide us. And when we're looking at events in the world, where are we looking at them from? Okay, because if we just look at them in terms of projecting into the future, the past. So for example, if we look at the fact that we've known about climate change and everything else for ages and we don't do anything about it and we're still addicted to oil and all of those things and we project that future, it doesn't look very hopeful because we just project what we've done in the past and we push it forward. But to truly understand the future, you actually have to see how the influence of that future is affecting us in the past and what's calling us forth. 
Buckminster Fuller called that a critical path, that there is a critical path to the future that looks in hindsight like it was magic or that it was a series of synchronicities or serendipity or something, but was actually the operation of intelligence. And so in the transmission, he talked about, he's talked about um, Kundalini is uh, the sentience of the whole curled up in form. So when we think of nature, when we think of, you know, um, forests and oceans and the ecosystems and so on, it seems to have an intelligence. That intelligence is the Kundalini. And the reason it has that intelligence is that a Kundalini comes from a deeper place that is part of the evolution of the whole. And it's curled up in matter, just like the future is curled up in the past, and therefore it knows which way to grow. Just like a plant knows to grow to the light, the whole of nature, our nature, our bodies know the way. It's our ego that doesn't know the way. And of course, what's happened is our, our ego has colonized the body. And, and our ego has decided because of the use of mind that it can control the body. But actually the intelligence in the body of Kundalini has more in common with the intelligence of the free soul than it does with the ego. Both of them are actually not happy with the ego. Because they're, they're the divine parents, the divine energy of matter, of mother, and the divine energy of father is not the, the, the civilization that we're living in. We're living in, in the, the demasculated father's son. So the prince, who is, who is Saturn, who is not the energy of the father, has taken over the world with control because of fear. And our bodies, which are not the energy of pure Kundalini, have responded with their desire and their emotion and their sexuality in a way that's very limited. So the breakout is to break truly into deeply trusting the Kundalini energy in matter because it knows the way. It can't explain it to you, but it knows the way. As we all know, when we do our erotic work and we do our, our, our um, medicine journeys and so on, there's an intelligence buried in matter that is not seeing where it's going. It just instinctively knows how to throw off the colonization of the ego and move. And there is an instinct in our consciousness but the only way to access it is to be free from identity. Okay, your identity can't understand it. It's not something that you can conceptualize. It's a living current that is present at the core of the soul itself. It's not an idea or a concept. And that living current is in collusion with Kundalini. Those two energies together are expressions of the center. They are the life. So if we're looking for clues about how to follow, one of those clues lies in following the vibration in matter and what he called in an earlier um, transmission, that deep black dragon energy that's underneath the serpent energy is the energy in matter that knows the way to life because it is life. It's not limited. And then there's the life at the core of your soul. 
which is the emptiness or the void or the connection to the black hole. It's not, it's not another thing. It's not an idea. It's not an entity. It's the energy of life inside your soul. And then the third, if those are balanced, and most of us, we're still working on the balance. Like some of us like do the Kundalini of matter well, but we don't actually have the, the void energy and consciousness. Others do the void energy of consciousness, but we don't have the void energy of matter. So we come together in community to kind of learn from each other. And part of the seventh ray training is to really bring those energies deeply together inside each of us so that there is an equality we're giving out inside ourselves, not just an equality to our masculine and feminine sides, we're giving equality to the intelligence of our matter and the intelligence of our soul, the life force that's buried in them. And then the heart becomes a, a um, stable guide because the heart now is informed by both those energies and the heart has a direct relationship with the center of any system because remember the center of this system the heart of that system is the base of a greater system so this energy here is the base of this system and it has a direct relationship with that okay so he says you know this is something that you know maybe john Delarue and a few other esotericists you know nerds will will love but most people won't but it's like take this and apply that to the cosmic planes because if you apply it to the cosmic planes all kinds of realizations come about okay that you know some of the correlations are buried inside our chakra systems okay the relation like how we know about how does Kundalini rise up in our system and what does it get in the way of? But we're not used to applying that to a big system. Whereas Earth maybe is a base center of a much bigger organism. And if Kundalini was rising for Earth, the effects just like we, our, our erotic energy like, might move up as a result of Kundalini activating. What's that look like in a planet? When the Kundalini of a planet activates, Who's the sacral center of a planet? What, what, what is the effect on the, the, the vegetable kingdom of a planet when the Kundalini of that planet has been activated? What is the effect on the human kingdom? Like that chakra is within this great being. So if we understand ourselves, understand yourself, you understand cosmos, understand cosmos, you understand man. So if you start to apply the, the wisdom that we learn from our own awakening process to these greater beings that we're part of, then amazing revelations can come. So the main thing to get is that there is a direct relationship that is not linear between the base of any system and its heart. It's a fourth dimensional relationship, okay? It doesn't happen in time and space. But the result of that relationship is a linear flow in time and space. So this verticality of the current, this rising up of Kundalini is a direct result of this impacting that in a fourth dimensional way that results in the rising. And that rising we call evolution. Okay, intelligent directional evolution. And it doesn't matter whether that's your path through time in a life or whether that's yourself climbing the planes of spiral dynamics or any other system of levels, it's the same process and emergence. Okay, so there's um, one more esoteric piece I wanna give you, 
which is um, in, in DK's writing in Esoteric Astrology, one of the beautiful things about, about um, working with this Tibetan teacher is that he, he told me once, look, there's a difference between the time and space you can contact, like a state, you know, you have a, a state experience and the time and space that you have personal responsibility for. Okay, so, you know, even in your own life, you can like maybe have massive glimpses of bigger pictures of yourself and the world around you. But it's one thing to like be aware of it. It's another thing to be causal within it. To be causal within time and space means you are channeling the life principle within that sphere. Okay, it's moving through you. So he was saying that his responsibility is a 350 year time sphere. Okay, and you know, that doesn't sound like much, but that's a big responsibility. And so he and, and his unfolding of these teachings through Blavatsky and Bailey and me and what will come in 2025 is part of an unfolding of a wisdom around the energy of Shambhala and the life principle for humanity. That's his responsibility within hierarchy. It's his job. I will do that. Everybody does different things. We clean or, or do whatever we do around here. He said, like, I'll unfold this piece of wisdom to humanity. So in doing that, he also has to use a number of different generations of people, 350 years is longer than anybody's life. So he had to, so, so one of the beautiful things about working with it has been that some texts that were left buried in archives in America had to appear in my life and other things had to happen to link together an unmistakable um, lineage process. Okay, but that lineage process has to be revealed through the center of the sphere rather than unfolding in time. And then at the core of it, you know, like all of those books, Alice Bailey wrote 24 books, I've already written about seven, Lubatsky wrote huge volumes, all of those books all summed up by one word, freedom. Like that, that energy is an energy, it's not words. Mm -hmm but the words convey the energy to souls stuck in mind. Like that's what they do. They, they are a drink for the soul that is in mind that is mainly in our world in illusion. All of the information that goes into our minds is part of a system that is obsolete from the point of view of the soul and often counterproductive. Like I know in my experience, I did, you know, university degrees and, and my soul, my inner voice often would have to interrupt me and say, don't believe this next bit. Because if you believe this next bit, then there's going to be a lot of remedial work later on to get you to where we're going. So a lot of the information and the education that we're given does not lend us to freedom. It lends us to enslavery by mind. And even the most advanced work, you know, that we're doing with life coaches who help you with your mission statement, and then you create a business plan, and all of that is slavery because you are a free soul who was born to vibrate with the living energy of cosmos. You're not somebody who should be serving a mission plan that you created with the life coach. You're not someone who should be doing that. You're not someone who should be serving an ideology by a religion or a political ideology. You are the free swimming fish in the ocean of cosmos. 
and you, you, you live there. So because we're not taught that, we're not shown that, not, we're, not, we're not directed in our awareness to value that, then we are hungry for some guidance from outside of us. When that guidance on the inside atrophies, like the pineal gland atrophies, and we lose our capacity to see as the soul, the core of our heart that should be guiding everything through resonance with the whole starts to fall away. So that's the value of transmission, this transmission through this being of, yes, there's all of these words, but underneath it, it's a drink of freedom. And if you know how to have that drink, you also know how to give that drink. Because one of the fastest ways to learn as a soul is to transmit. As it moves through you, it transmits to you. So the power of what's coming in 2025 is here now. We're being affected now by that call. And, and letting it move through us allows it to flow into the world and allows people who are thirsty for exactly that energy to find it. And that's really what's behind all of the mandala work and, and you know, the courses that we're doing and everything else is just that. Just that homeopathic dose of freedom that's arriving in its full power in 2025, but now is here like a rain shower, you know, that we can taste and we can feel, but we don't understand yet. Okay, so the last piece I want to um, share is um, a quote that he gave back in Work with Alice Bailey uh, that was from Esoteric Astrology. And if this is the, one of the keys to time, there's also a key to space. And the 12-fold field, the three crosses of astrology when you take them beyond just a, a, a clock and turn them into a 3D map and turn that 3D map into a fourth dimensional time-space reality, the keys, because the key is, it, it, you know, it lures you in by thinking, oh, I'm a Taurus or, oh, I'm a human design, you know, nothing in my sacral center or whatever it is, because the identity then can fix on something that relates to your experience. Oh yeah, I experienced that. And now I'm getting understanding about it. And so now I'm, I, I can relate to it. Okay, so this is like a Trojan horse. Astrology is like a Trojan horse. It comes inside you to help free you from the fact that you are already embedded in identity. It's giving you a better identity, you know, which is not, not like, oh, I am my stock portfolio or my, I'm mummy's little, you know, um, champ or um, I'm a, a left wing, you know, liberalist or no, I'm, I'm a Taurus with a Gemini ascendant and, you know, like I, my soul's here for blah, 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 you know, which is great because your, your identity is shifting away from being more deeply enmeshed in matter to starting to be enmeshed in the archetypal realm. But the astrological is just one form of showing you the archetypes. And of course, once you get comfortable with being a Taurus, and eventually it shows, well, you're actually the opposite of that. You're a Scorpio. And now, poof, the whole thing starts to implode on you because all archetypes are really one being. It's just one archetype with 12 hands. And once you've decided you are one of them, now you're fucked because pretty soon you'll be all of them. And once you are all of them through the collapse of opposites, 
now you're free. Okay, in the center of your mandala is freedom. In the center of your time is freedom. The soul and time and space are all places where the free swimming fish of your monad is caught. So once, once you start to invest your understanding in esoteric archetypal wisdom instead of exoteric you know, knowledge, then you're on the way to freedom, but it isn't free. The freedom comes when you find the center of all things, cancel out all things, and then there's emptiness. So I'm going to give you this quote. It should be noted that there are seven forms of light related to the substance of the seven planes. These are stimulated and enhanced by the 12 forms of light of the 12 creative hierarchies related each of them to one or other of the 12 signs of the zodiac. On this I may not enlarge as it concerns the mysteries of the higher initiations. I simply make the statement so that it may be appreciated by you as an occult fact, the proof of which you may not yet have access. A paralleling statement would be that the light of the seven centers in man, when enhanced by the light of the seven planetary centers and the five kingdoms in nature, seven plus five equals 12, plus the 12 lights of the zodiac will produce a consummation of light effectiveness, which will make possible the expression of the whole. This through the medium of humanity. This is a basic statement, depends on your definition, which may mean little to you as yet, but which will in the next century form a seed thought or a key sound for the next revelation of the ageless wisdom. So, you know, a complex statement but within it is a sound like like um new matter and mathematics and music are sounds of the soul and the civilization that's coming has a core has an essence and that essence when it's sounded brings that civilization into being so one of the things that uh, I've worked on with that is the relationship between the 84 of your life and the 49 of the cycle of time. So we have a cycle of time that's 49 years and you have a cycle of a human life of 84 years, a year in a cycle. So seven sevens are 49 and five sevens are 35. Seven plus five equals 12. Okay, seven cycles of seven and 12 cycles of seven. Okay, so what this looks like is if you can link the 84 and the 49, if you can link the your experience in time and your experience in space. So there are two keys. One is the key in time. If you can unravel time so that you can sit at the center of time and see how it unravels. But like sitting in a black hole, okay? There's no time, but a galaxy is unfolding in time and space. So how can you be in no time and at the same time in time? And the other key is how can you be in space and at the same time in no space? 
How can you be an emptiness and at the same time in, in space? So if you can be the infinite within the finite and you, you have experience of that, now you're sitting on the experience, which is the key unfolding note of the civilization to come. Another way of saying that is the civilization that's coming is based on life, not based on biological life, based on the life principle at the core of the 3D world. So a lot of people are like, you know, like the ascension crowd are like, we want to get into 5D and we want to, you know, like ascend and get out of this heavy 3D reality. And then the materialists are like, let go of all of that fluffy stuff and be down here where it's real and where things happen. And, you know, like if you, if you were a soul, why do you have a body? You're in a body, be in your body. You know, like, so these are the arguments that we know from, you know, the light and dark. But what this is saying is that you're, you need to be both. You need to be the eternal one who's not in time and space. And you need to be fully in time and space. And it's only through understanding the life and the monadic energy that you can do that. Otherwise, the soul will shuttle backwards and forwards. The, subtle will, the soul will come into matter and try to get to know matter. And then it will leave matter and try to get to know spirit. And then it will shuttle backwards and forwards, as you've probably experienced in your own life. As you're, as you're like called in and out. If you get too much in the matter, then it's very hard to focus on your spiritual practice. And if you're too much in the, in the subtle world, it's very hard to pay your taxes. But the monad allows for a fusion of those places so that you can be fully in the eternal and the infinite and deeply in the second, the moment showing up in the, as full presence with your whole being as possible in each moment in time and space and life. That is the presence of divinity within each atom of that divine cell or divine body. So those of you who are interested in esoterics and, and want to take that, that, um, that formula apart, one of the things that we did in 2000 here was with a group of like 10 esotericists from around the world. We took five days and we took that formula and we went in and we meditated and we studied and we invoked and then we came and shared every day and it was an amazing experience of fire um, but it actually helped orient the the the, the soul towards the mystery okay the, the great thing about you know keys esoteric keys is they don't give you an answer that you can then go away and like i know the answer they give you a direction I give you a direction to inquire. And when you inquire in that direction, fire is the result. And, and he says that this mystery, the mystery of Shambhala is the mystery of fire. And that fire exists in the center. And that actually what makes a system alive is the presence of life at its center. So some planets, for example, like the moon doesn't have a core operating anymore. It's a dead planet that actually life on a planet, including biological life and including human intelligence and everything else, has got a lot to do with both the life at the very core of the core of the physical planet and the life at the core of the spiritual planet, the core of all of our souls. That life is there at the beginning and will stay to the end. It's like DK with his 350 years. If you are the life in a sphere, you're the captain that goes down with that ship. You go down with the ship so that you disappear from it entirely. You're there at the beginning, you disappear, and then you're revealed at the end. Okay, so that life force that lives within Earth 
and within that lives at the core of each of us as souls who are part of us being, it's becoming, uh, it's emerging. And it's not emerging like, you know, in a spaceship or some guy, it's emerging in all of us, recognizing itself through all of us, gathering us together to show itself as the very core of our existence. And so coming back again to us and community, like for that principle to be alive in us, then we need to develop a language, develop a culture that recognizes it, values it, feels it when it's operative, is able to respond to it, has rituals and ceremonies that particularly relate to it so that it becomes alive in us and in us collectively. And, you know, part of that is the orientation towards the center of a sphere and its connection with our base. So there's my transmission for the evening. Thoughts and um, yeah, Bruce. I just wanted to say, yeah, Bruce. I just wanted to say that I'm so grateful for these transmissions. You know, we were doing trans transmission today, and I was saying one of the <clears throat> most amusing and frustrating things in my life has been like 20 years of trying to speak about, um, trying to speak about freedom to identities that are already in it, including me that's speaking about it. You know, in other words, that it's like somewhere the pointing towards it, you trust keeps moving everything towards it, but it isn't another concept to be grasped. And that's one of the reasons it's very hard to listen to esoteric information because the mind just spins out and the spinning out is what it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to break the mind's desire to understand and put that in a box in here that it now can build networks and neural patterns around and have some answer or some new thing to guide it into the future. It actually should be breaking that open so there is a vibration present, but less and less understanding. So, yeah, sorry about that. And, um, but, I, but I also find that incredibly amusing, you know, to myself, you know, and also to um, the process. Like, what is this process of unlearning that we have to go through in order to reorient our antenna towards something that our heart deeply knows? Is there a question about the um, dimensionality yeah. of this? So you're saying it's spherical. And I'm seeing it as the centered being, it's almost a torus, but a torus that isn't just linear, that goes from top to bottom, but in all directions at once. So right. Like you, can, you can contact any point from the center. Yes. So sort of like core of the earth contacting all the points. Any point the, within it. Any point within it through the center, but going through the center. But then what's exciting, I'm like thrilled about now is like this, okay, so that is also the Kundalini of a, of a larger system. Yes. So that's just the base of a larger system that can be contacted from the center of the system above it. And, and then there's the, all of those systems linking up. So they are referential. Like they impact each other. Yes. From the top down and from the bottom up. 
and uh, you know, from just the single cell into like the cosmic universe, it's like the butterfly. So two two things that I think are really important. What you said is one is that Kundalini is at the base of a system that emerges through its vertical current, but it's also at every every point, every point within it. So every atom in our bodies has Kundalini, and when it activates here, it activates radially. This activates linearly. This activates radially, and it has direct linear relationships with every point within the sphere. And, and I think that people experientially get that once they've done Kundalini awakening in their base and they start to probe into the mystery of matter, what is vibrating at the core of atoms? Like that's another form of Kundalini. And the other thing was the above below thing, that sometimes we don't know whether we are the effect of a higher system. So in other words, if this is a base of a much bigger system and that heart of that bigger system was being activated, it might have a reflex reaction on this system. So we could be like being evoked by a greater life that we're being called up um, just because that greater life is, it has its energy. Or the reverse can also be true. That maybe, you know, these awakening of slumbering entities that he talks about, that as we start to go into the black dragon energy of the earth and call it awake, we are at the effect of that as it comes up through us, right? So he says in occult cosmology that even though it looks like a little planet like earth and the center of a galaxy of radically different levels of being, that we experience the energy of the center of the galaxy on earth as the coming of the avatar which is basically this we experience that here as the center of the galaxy's energy on earth is the coming of the life principle at the core of the earth mm -hmm. but a civilization like earth that remembers its cosmic origin of the galactic center is registered there as a returning dragon so therefore we have an effect on like an awake planet in the cosmos has an effect on its core. We don't know what that effect is, but there is an effect. Okay, any other thoughts, communications, you guys online or here? Hi Bruce, uh, hi all. Um, the 12 coming from the, um, the zodiac thing seems to point out, uh, of course, this uh, this cycle which more concerns the solar logos, which is quite. Yeah, I can see somebody talking. You'll have to unmute. unmute. I am unmuted. I am unmuted, Bruce, but maybe you don't hear. Are you all the guys hear hearing you. me? Yeah. Is it, have you got some global unmute button? Okay, I'm gonna unmute. Hold on, I'm trying to unmute all of you. Okay, great, thanks. Can you hear me now? All right, you're all unmuted. Thank you. Okay. Well, maybe you, not. Do you hear me now? Any really interesting hand signals? Take a question in the chat. <laughs> yeah, esoteric hand signals. Maybe give me the key sound with the mudra. Or <laughs> so it looks like you're. I, I can't unmute you. 
We're still working on it. Maybe it's here. Yeah, McKenna's in this message. Well, I'm trying to unmute you, but it doesn't seem like it's going to work. Turn your volume up. <laughs> I thought you were being very quiet. <laughs> I have a question. No, keep doing that. We didn't see it. <laughs> Okay, so it sounds like some of you can hear each other, but um, my volume is just not operational at all. Otherwise, you know, I hope you enjoyed just looking at me for 20 minutes or so. <laughs> can you, can you hear, I can hear something on this. Hello. Hello. I know I'm talking about. So. <laughs> Hello. That's good. Wave. <laughs> ah, just, just worked. Came to life. Okay. Sorry about that frustration. I'm here now and I'm listening. So Bruce, I just wanted to say um, how grateful I am for these transmissions. Um, today, a, a deep sense of embodied knowing was activated many, many times. And uh, as you were reading through those lists, lists of concepts earlier in the call, um, I just really couldn't keep up with what was vibrating in my body because there were so many keys that would just keep dropping. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to say how grateful I am um, for, the, for the wisdom you're sharing because for me, my development is definitely accelerated just from having these little pieces coming in uh, each week. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. Well, it's, it's beautiful to know that you're getting a buzz from receiving what I'm getting such a buzz from receiving myself. So the flow is, is uh, appreciated returned. Thanks, brother. Any other thoughts or questions? I'll dive in. Hey, Bruce. Can you hear me? Hey, John. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering whether this transmission points us more towards the idea of Shambhala as a threefold system, because the way you've described the life force at the center of any system, that's been related in the diagrams you've been doing to the buddhic plane and the action of like that life force on crown, heart and base on the physical plane, basically on the physical and etheric. But we're normally taught to locate Shambhala on the second plane. So... Yeah. You didn't, you didn't speak so much about like the mysteries of what's happening on that second plane or, or it would be the first and the seventh or the sixth, uh, the second and the sixth impacted by the energy of the fourth, the middle plane. So I'm wondering about that. Like I'm wondering if, if all of this is related to 2025 as where there's the energy of Shambhala coming in and impacting from the center of the whole of the sphere and producing life force awakening through the cells of the sphere which is the earth, how is that related to how we normally locate Shambhala on the second plane? Mm. Or, is, or is the crown? 
Sure. Well, I think, you know, part of that key sound of the, of the teaching seven plus five equals 12 is that he's saying the seven, uh, the seven forms of substance of the seven planes plus the five kingdoms in nature. So, um, the five liberated hierarchies. So there's seven hierarchies in incarnation on the cosmic physical plane and there's five liberated hierarchies on the cosmic astral. And I think the monadic system on the second subplane is the heart of that great system of 12. Okay. So the, the heart of the small system of seven is buddhi, but the heart of the system of 12, seven plus five equals 12 is Shambhala on the monadic plane. But I feel like most of us need to like bridge to the buddhic plane um, before we bridge to the monadic. And I do think that, that um, in the same way that we can relate the base center to our heart, if we include the monad and make the causal body the heart, then that just gives us a sign how we keep doing that. You know, so if we made the monad on, uh, if we made the monad on the monadic plane, Shambhala, a heart center, what would the being that that was the heart center and be? So anyway, that's my exploration. And um, I'd love to geek out on, you, on, on that with you sometime. <laughs> yeah. I would like to ask anybody there or here, if they're 42, or I don't know, I don't know how old you guys are, and, and what kind of experience, if they've got anything to say about where they were at or where they're at at that age. So the question is about the 42, and certainly at Haydn so far, the people on the trainings of each of the six trainings that have been in that 40 to 42 have been significant as life force coming into our field. So the question is, who here is 42 and how's it going? And um, uh, what's moving through you in terms of that realization being at the heart of your life? Bruce, well, I'm, I'm 41, nearly 42. And uh, it's funny, I've just moved to Ibiza, as you know, and, and, and even talking about the freedom element, I've been uh, ripping my clothes off every morning and jumping in the clear water and I just feel this sense of liberation and freedom. So really feeling, feeling like I'm, I'm finding the center here and, <clears throat> you know, where I'm sitting right now, uh, heading into 42 in February next year, it really feels like, uh, as you were, as you were, you know, talking today, it was really resonating to, to where I'm feeling, where I'm at, um, sort of moving right. into the project here. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's my experience looking back on 42 is like, it's the, it's the point where the energy and energy comes in that sets up your, your, um, uh, your entire life in the future and where it makes sense a lot of everything that you have done till now. Um, mm -hmm. I would also look for your Uranus opposition when it goes exact um, and, and do a decent ritual for yourself. Awesome. <laughs> All right, great. Anyone else who's 42 or on the cusp of that? I was 42 until about um, 10 days ago. So I just passed it and it was a very strange year. I threw myself into everything and anything so deeply, so insanely. And right towards the end of it, everything was like, a, no, no, no. And I just, I've just been cutting and I'm still in that process where I'm just cutting everything off. And I'm like, is this ever going to stop? Like, 
and it's it's to do with the how you were talking about the branches it's like there was a part of me that had to know at last and explore everything and anything and this was it <laughs> had to be very clear and it's like i'm just done like to my court to my bones i am done i've walked it done it all seen it all <laughs> and um, now i just feel like i'm just clearing all of that and my mind having huge frustrations because it's like what he like i'm just sitting doing absolutely nothing with with nothing going on and i'm in lockdown now for six weeks and it's like it's given me the the open space to yeah anyway it's it's just yeah well, Thank you. having nothing going on is a really advanced state. So, you know, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, like. <laughs> I also feel like, you know, in the future, when we like, deeply understand these cycles of time and space will really help people in their seven year cycles, their 12 year cycles, their 28 year cycles, 42 year cycles, create appropriate rituals that um, really support the the deep downloading of a deeper dimension of your being at that time in the meantime um hanging upside down is good at 42 just by the way <laughs> amazing uh, another 42 year old here and um just to, to mention that i really felt um, this year, um, the erection of a temple with, uh, along with Matilda and two days after the solstice, and it really felt like the convergent point of a whole uh, triangle that was leading all my biology, all my previous life, everything to converge to a certain point, which was this erection. And I really feel that uh, in, in about a week or so, we'll leave this 42-year-old uh, uh, period. Uh, and, and that another triangle, which is more an opening, is ahead from this convergence and enlargement to another cycle and work. That's uh, how I feel it. Right. Well, sounds like you're in it. And um, whatever it is that you are seeding now is you know, going to be an important piece for the rest of your life. So sounds like you're, on, you're a Templar. <laughs> All right, good to see you, Olivia. Yeah, Rich. I didn't mean to. I know Tash might have had a question, but I, I, I did have a question. Okay. Um, it's about the fourth quality of deity coming. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, how, like in the last age, you've had this thing of the triangle of like the spirit, the holy God, like the three qualities of deity, and I'm wondering if you think like. In the next age, it'll be like become a square, and there's like four qualities that you know, and that's the center point that comes through the triangle. Yeah, and I know it's related to the coming of the fourth ray. I'm just yeah. curious about that. Yeah, so the, the question is about the coming of the fourth quality and its relationship to um, the triangle. And so you can see here, in a way, that the monad is the like the will of God energy, this is the love of God, and this is the activity of God. And the way the fourth quality is the revelation of the presence of the whole within. So, you know, often the symbol of the eye in the triangle, but really what that is, is a tetrahedron. So in other words, the, rather than a square, when the eye appears in the triangle, it creates a tetrahedron, a three-dimensional form, which is a symbol for fire. Okay, so... When, when fire arrives at the very core of a system, 
then it's like the the presence of divinity is there not a quality of divinity which is like will love or activity but the presence and that presence is fire in esoteric tree okay right speaking of fire i think um i'm probably cooked <laughs> for the night so thank you for um being with me as we as we like generate this culture and one of the things that um is deep for me as I come towards the cycle of finishing the grounding of the temple here at Haydn, which has been a 20 year process. And then the last three and a half years of seven cycles of trainings is, you know, just this deep longing in my being um, for that culture of freedom to live here. Um, it's been a very beautiful and painful process for me to actually have to, to, to do the Piscean job of like taking the lead and holding the point and, and making sure that that principle is alive, um, but also exhausting um, because that principle can't be embodied by an individual. Like I can just point towards it, but that principle has to be alive in community. So how do we transition so that that principle is alive in each of us and at the center? And I feel like, that's what I'm looking for in the next journey. And it's the same in this principle in Shambhala School where we're generating a field of energy and pointing towards something that's emerging and trying to educate about it. Um, and, you know, what DK said is his teachings on Shambhala, the teachings on the life principle are the most important teachings and not because they're educational, but because they point towards something that's emergent, that's coming. Um, so how do we have a culture of that, a culture of life, and at the same time, um, not let it go when it's important? Like, how do we fiercely guard it, knowing that it's, it's important, and at the same time, relax completely and know that it's present, and it's what's called us here? So, you know, that's my... Um, you know, longing and dream for the end of 2020 that we all have a taste of that in, in our water field. Mm. Much love to everybody. See you next Wednesday, some of you, and otherwise see you in the fire. <laughs> <laughs>